hello and thank you for listening to the Nerd Out Loud podcast where we talk about the things that you nerd out about and we nerd out about and everybody nerds out about. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Christy. And today we are joined by a very special guest that you'll be meeting shortly by the name of Christopher Carson from the Luna Project. Have a few housekeeping things to get out of the way first. Number one, thank you for listening. We are a show, as we said, we talk about the things that you nerd out about. Maybe that's not traditionally nerdy stuff. Maybe it's coin collecting. Maybe it's... You come up with something, Christy. Oh, that's not traditionally nerdy? Yeah. Um, Human rights. Yeah, you can nerd out about that. Human trafficking. Stopping human trafficking. Or doing, doing human, human trafficking. Tra- in which we, we want to talk do to you. <laughs> we don't <laughs> condone it, <laughs> but if you nerd it. out about that, or if you're passionate about it, we'll uh, talk to you and then maybe report you to the authorities, <laughs> depending on the legality <laughs> of what's going on there. This is getting really weird. Okay, so we have a very exciting guest today. Like I said, um, we have some exciting guests coming up, to be honest with you. I I have uh, just set an interview for next week with my friend Tyler, who runs an organization called the Dead Raising Team, and they raise people from the dead. They, They pray for God to raise people from the dead all over the world. And Tyler travels all over the world training people. So he makes zombies, is what you're saying. Well... I guess, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so it's his fault when it turned the world turns into Walking Dead. Yeah, okay. sure, sure. Uh, it doesn't work quite like that, from oh. what I understand. So Can anyway. I tell him that I want to be first? I just want to go in the first round. Yes. I don't want to fight <laughs> don't for my life. Yeah, you're going to have to put one of those, like, do not resuscitate, yeah. like, dog wanna, tags on. Do not pray for me to come back. I don't want to carry zombie ears on a necklace around my <laughs> neck or eat squirrels or any of that. Okay, well, let's not okay. get ahead of ourselves. Yes, That's sorry. coming up next week. This week, we are joined by... A very special guest, Christopher Carson from the Luna Project. He is a uh, – I heard about him on a documentary called Lunarzy. It's available on Netflix. Go check it out. It's about people that are interested in the moon or I believe have a unique relationship with the moon. And I'm not a space nerd, and I even was interested. So <laughs> you yeah. non-space nerds, which is 99% they of our do audience, it, listen. They we'll do it in a it. very humor – Humorful way. Humorous. Humor. Humorful. <laughs> it's a vi- it's a very humorfully nerd out about the English it's a language. Humorfully done <laughs> thing. So okay, with no further ado, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Chris- Christopher Carson, everybody. And do you prefer to be called Christopher? Um, you know, I'm not really very picky. Okay. Uh, Christopher, Chris. I mean, the truth is, Christopher Carson is such a common name. And uh, the name of your organization is called the Luna Project. Yeah, the, the Luna Project. I, I like to say it's a. I, I like to think of it as more of an activity than an organization. Uh, there are so many space organizations out there: the National Space Society, the Planetary Society, the Space Frontier Society, the Students for the Exploration of Space, the Mars Society, the Moon Society, just to name a few. Um, it's not that we lack organizations; is that the organizations that we do have. Um, aren't as effective as they might be in getting things done. And so I, the, the biggest thing that I am trying to do is to give people a direction to point their efforts in no matter how they're organized. Um, you know, we've also got, you know, a space industry nowadays. We've got, obviously, you've heard of, undoubtedly you've heard of Virgin Galactic and the spaceship company, X-Corps, um, 
space adventures, the tourism people. Uh, of course, there's also planetary resources and deep space enterprises, you know, looking to go out and mine the asteroids. Uh, Shackleton Energy, which is talking about extracting propellants from the ice at the south pole of the moon. Uh, so there's, you know, in addition to sort of membership organizations and nonprofits, there's quite a few, well, they at least want to think of themselves as for-profit businesses, although um, most of the ones that turn a profit are really in the uh, satellite business. I've, yeah, I've, I've heard it said that th somebody said that the first, probably the first trillionaire is going to be whoever can figure out how to get an asteroid and, and uh, get hold of it and mine it for the metals that are inside it. Yeah, that's one of Peter Diamandis' ideas. Of course, Diamandis, the guy who founded the X Prizes and so on. Um, of course, the thing I always remember in that connection is the uh, other way around, which is that people, there are certain people who like to say the best way to make a small fortune in the space business is to start out with a large one. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, so let me uh, introduce you to everybody. This is Chris Carson with the Luna Project, and um, I first discovered Chris and kind of his story by watching a documentary that uh, last time I checked was currently available on net Netflix called uh, Lunar – I don't – is it Lunarcy? Is that how you pronounce it? Lunarcy, yes. Lunarcy. And, um, and the – I mean, I, the the tagline of the movie, it's about people that are interested in the moon, correct? Yeah, pe people, well, Simon, the director, uh, described it as being about people who have kind of a different relationship with the moon. Yeah, there's a there's a, another guy that's in the documentary that uh, is, se is selling real estate on the moon, I believe, and... Um, uh, and then you were featured on there as well. And uh, what really stood out about your story for me personally is that you, uh, you, I mean, you pretty clearly state in the movie that you have an interest in leaving planet Earth with no intention of returning. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me just ask you, um, when, when did this start for you? Oh, gosh. You know, it's a very difficult question for me to answer because, I mean, anybody who knew, you in, who knew me in high school, for example, could tell you that, you know, I generally had a piece of paper out and I could, you know, sketch for you my, you know, I said, okay, well, this is how you would go to the asteroids or this is how you'd go to Mars, this is how you'd go to the moon, um, various other things like that. Um, you know, it's always been sort of in my consciousness that the Earth was one part of this marvelous universe, but that the whole thing was within the scope of the human mind and human activity. Um, so the idea of leaving the Earth and going somewhere else, I think, has always been with me. And uh, it was 2007 when I decided that enough was enough, basically, and I sat down and spent several weeks basically putting together a very clear view, or as clear a view as I could at the time, of the situation um, in regards to where humanity was at, where I personally was at, and what the best next step would be. And I came out of that process convinced that the most practical thing would be a lunar settlement. In other words, you know, you have to look at what your objective is. And if your objective is humanity spreading out into the solar system, eventually to the stars, you've got to take a first step. 
And after looking at all the different possible first steps, I came to the conclusion that the one that was most practical was a human settlement on the moon. And uh, that's just because of proximity to Earth and, and the fact that we've already been there before? Yes, those are the two main points, absolutely. You know, that firstly, you can get there anytime you want. Secondly, we have some actual experience and some actual samples. We know what's there. We have some reasonable idea of how to work with it. Um, in any sense, anytime you want to do something, right? Anytime you want to do something, you need material to work with. And so that's one of the big problems of the space station, right? Everything that they use there has to be brought up from Earth. And that's expensive. On the other hand, when you get to the moon, if instead of bringing with you food and water and air and finished products, you've brought with you mechanisms to allow you to make some of those things or the raw materials for them, then instead of being limited to the supplies you've brought with you, you can actually multiply those a hundred or a thousand fold. Uh, you can even get into like an exponential growth regime. And, you know, before you say, how is that possible? Well, actually, for example, during the quarantine procedures that came out of the Apollo 11 mission, they actually grew plants in lunar soil. Oh, wow. So uh, on, uh, wow, once they had returned, once they had returned to Earth, or how, do, how did that happen? Yes. Yeah, see, the, basically no one knew at the time whether there might be microorganisms of some nature actually living in the lunar soil. And so one of the things that was done after the Apollo 11 crew returned was that they were put in an isolation chamber for several weeks while experiments were done to ensure that there was nothing that could be a plague like in the War of the Worlds. And one of the experiments involves actually planting some fast-growing plants in potting soil that was mixed with moon dust and later on actually just in plain lunar soil. So in just 100% straight lunar soil, they were able to grow plants? Yes. Yes, obviously you have to put them inside a pressure containment. You've got to provide them with a suitable atmosphere. Right. But back in the 1980s, and there's a very good book entitled Lunar Bases and Space Activities of the 21st Century. One of the papers in there, because it's a collection of conference papers, really, but it's got a great cover. Um, you can actually download it, for example, from the National Space Society's Space Library online. But one of the papers illustrates that every cubic meter of lunar soil, according to the samples we have and the analysis we've done and so forth, contains enough of all the necessary elements to produce basically two ham sandwiches, two apples, and two glasses of wine. Lunch. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. A, n a nice lunch at that, I guess. So let me ask you this. So you you kind of have this plan to uh, or, or a desire to, to have an establishment on the moon. Do you have an actual plan and process or, or where are you in the planning processes of making this actually happen? Yes. Well, actually, I have spent a lot of effort on planning and have, all, of course, always been trying to rope other people into helping me with this. Uh, a major thing. A great part of my emphasis has been, and let me make this clear, a great part of my emphasis has been on things that can be done now without needing to 
develop new technology without needing really to do anything other than put existing pieces together in new ways. So absolutely, you know, I have plans. The plans change depending on what becomes available. But I could tell you, for example, that I have a little document that I've been putting together for some time in which I try to show pretty clearly that for less than a billion dollars, I want you to think about that sum for a minute because a billion dollars is not much these days, and a billion dollars gets spent pretty rapidly on a lot of different programs. For less than a billion dollars, it would be possible to put within two years or so, uh, and the time element there is fixed largely by the fact it requires the Falcon Heavy rocket, which SpaceX hasn't launched yet, but they keep saying they're going to do any day now. Um, once the Falcon Heavy rocket is available, two people on the lunar surface for an indefinite stay um, within 18 to 24 months. Um, and when I say indefinite stay, what, what I mean is that they would have 100% supplies, food, water, and oxygen, in other words, mm -hmm. for six months, and then also various uh, items of equipment which they could use to try and extend that lifetime of those supplies. Right. So they would be dependent on resupply from Earth, but they would be able to produce at least some of what they needed. I see. I see. And, and that's with just existing technology that we have right now. That's not needing to come up with any new anything new other than the the uh, Falcon Heavy rocket that you mentioned? Yeah, basically just putting it all together in different ways. Um, the Falcon Heavy rocket, obviously that's kind of new, but SpaceX is already flying the Falcon 9, and the Falcon Heavy is basically just three Falcon 9s strapped together. Yeah. Um, for personnel capsule, I would actually be using a Gemini because they're very small and lightweight. And before you think, well, wasn't that from the 70s, there's actually a group in Alabama which for the past few years has been working on building a modernized one, uh, kind of on a shoestring budget, but assuming they had some funding, I'm pretty sure they could knock one out pretty rapidly. Right. Um, What's the name of that organization? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, gosh, they were originally, it was um, Americans in Space 50 because they were trying to fly it for the 50th anniversary of John Glenn's orbital flight. Uh, let me look here for a moment and see if I can find them. That that's amazing. Do you know if did they build it from scratch? Space Operations Incorporated is the name. And the short answer is that they managed to get hold of what's called a boilerplate, which was a structural test article. In other words. Back when the Gemini spacecraft was first in development, there were a number of different models, full-scale models that were built. And so they did get hold of one of those for reverse engineering. But their plan is basically, uh, the idea is basically to build it from scratch. Um, the documentation is there. So, so you have this plan together, and you have, you know... Uh the idea, are you actively right now soliciting investors, or how are you planning on funding all of this? The first step um, that I've been trying to take is to expose people to the idea, because what I've found is that people in general, even people who believe in the objectives of the space movement, even people who believe in asteroid mining, solar power satellites, all that kind of thing, find it hard to see a, a path between where we are now and where we would like to be. And so 
very there has been a, quite a bit of money uh, over the years sunk into, for example, private rocket companies, uh, which have sort of been trying to promise to lower the cost of launching things into space and that way make things much, much easier for anything else you want to do. And up until the past couple of years, most of that money has basically just vanished. Uh, there was a guy named Beal, for example, here in Texas, who had a great big rocket he wanted to build, fueled with, of all things, kerosene and hydrogen peroxide, which would be enormous, and he thought it would be very cheap to operate. <laughs> but he sunk most of a billion dollars of his own money into that project and never flew a rocket. In fact, practically, the only useful thing that came out of it was that he built a big test facility, which is actually what SpaceX is using now because they bought it from him. Oh, okay. Yeah, and SpaceX is the private uh, the private company that has been sending resupply miss missions to the space station. That's correct, yes. So, so let me ask you this. Last time we went to the moon, NASA took us there. Do you think that if we go back, it's going to be privately funded? I think it has to be. Um, now, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it's going to be commercial. I think that businesses have some role to play in this. But if you look at the state of the capital markets, for example, it's pretty clear that projects with long payback times, no matter how high the ultimate returns, don't get funded. Um, I think that the real mechanism is going to look a lot more, honestly, like crowdfunding. Um, in other words, the people who really care about this stuff have got to put their resources together and be the ones who get it done. And I'm kind of trying to take the lead on that. But the reason why I believe that it has to be done this way is very, very simple. Look at the United States Congress. Have they even passed a budget in, you know, eight out of the last ten years? Yeah, no. no. They can't even do their job, right? They can't even let alone and so expecting them to do anything else is crazy. Yeah, let alone take on a new task like trying to go to the go back to the moon. So, yeah. so um, have you have you ever have you thought about approaching any like angel investors or you know trying to get on like Shark Tank or something like that? That hasn't been my path up to now. As I say, I've been concentrating on kind of building credibility, if you will. Um, in the hope that that would make it easier a little further down the line to be able to do those things, uh, you know, to be able to talk to the money people. I mean, because, the, frankly, the fact is I'm looking not even for risk capital. I'm looking for sacrifice capital. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for money that you want to get something done with and never mind whether it pays off in material returns anytime in the reasonable future. Right. Um, and as I say, there are clearly people who've been willing to put up that kind of money. Um, you look at the expansion of a very long baseline array, for example, radio telescopes, funded by Paul Allen, who surely has money to burn. Um, you know, there have been private individuals, private groups, which have been willing to put considerable sums of money into space projects and have done it, and sometimes that's been successful and sometimes it hasn't. And what I really am trying to do is to establish the understanding that the path I'm talking about is so high likelihood in order to, in, so likely to succeed. Let's just put it this way, that the likelihood of that what I'm talking about has of succeeding is so high that this is where you want to put your money. 
for yeah. us as Christians, I'm kind of in that intermediate phase of trying to help people see that this is the route to take before really plunging headfirst into the question of finances. Right. Well, let let's say let's say you get trapped in an elevator with uh, with some some venture capitalist that has a bunch of money, and you you just had like five minutes to give him a pitch or him or her for a pitch for uh, for for what you're trying to do. What would you say to them if you had to try and simplify it down into something somewhat brief? Gosh, so I I guess you could say that I've used various kinds of. Um, quick pitches um, over the years, and sometimes I guess it depends what mood I'm in at the moment, but it all comes down to this in the end. If you look at the universe, there are hundreds of billions of galaxies. If you look at the Milky Way galaxy, our own galaxy, there are hundreds of billions of stars. If you look at our solar system, there are eight principal planets, dozens of moons, literally uncountable smaller objects until you get down to the grains of dust, which are blown out of the solar system by light pressure. And if you look around you and you imagine that in all of this wonderful, glorious immensity, the only place that's ever going to matter to human beings is the surface of the Earth, you're far more unrealistic than anybody who <laughs> dreams of pie in the sky could ever be. Mm -hmm. The fact is, if we have any kind of a future at all, that future is among the stars. That future nice. is out there where the energy from the sun is, is readily available, out there where minerals are available in the form of bite-sized chunks of chewed-up planet out in the asteroid belt. Mm -hmm. The future is off Earth at least as much as it is on Earth. And going to the moon is the first step in accessing that future. And the plan that I have, the path that I have described, is the most likely and the most rapid way to get access to that broader universe and to get started doing the things which are going to result in the universe of tomorrow, the future of humanity. I like it. I'd give you money. <laughs> <laughs> Christy's in. Hey, you know, I accept donations. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was actually my next question. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow along on this journey with you, do you have a website, a Facebook page, a Twitter, whatever? Yeah, yeah. So on Facebook, you can look for The Luna Project. The the turns out to be important because if you just look for Luna Project, you get something involving sleeping pills. And I actually had some very confused person send me a message on Facebook complaining about the price of sleeping pills. Do you imagine that? Wrong, wrong, wrong thing, yeah. And then you also want to stay away from Luna Pads, which is a, a reusable feminine hygiene pro product, I believe. Yeah. Don't do that one. So we want the Luna Project on Facebook, and all—it's the one that I've been talking. That I—that's how I found you, right? That's the page that you're talking about. Yes. Okay, so I'll link exactly. to it. I'll link to it in the show notes. And um, okay, uh, and then. Also, we do have a website uh, for all those things which Facebook is not good for, which is most things, uh, <laughs> www.lunarcc.org. Uh, that's for Lunar Coordinating Committee, which is what I try to have with you know, people who work with me, Lunar Coordinating Committee, so lunarcc.org. Um, and if you look at the website, 
um, up in the top left-hand corner, at least assuming that your browser works the way mine does, which is never guaranteed, <laughs> never guaranteed, but up in the top left-hand corner, there are links for the Facebook page, for the uh, web forum. There's a link to how to get onto our mailing lists. And there's also uh, links for if you want to donate some money so I can keep doing the things that I do, um, for you know, buy more postage stamps so I can mail out more copies of the newsletters that I print, things like that. And also for purchasing merchandise. Um, that gives you, we have, on eBay, basically, I have listed a variety of things. Uh, bumper stickers, for example. Uh, buttons. And something that I'm particularly proud of, which are these metalettes, little coin-like items. Um, I'm a coin collector myself, and so the idea of having something like a little commemorative coin uh, as a promotional item really struck me as a great idea and as being something that you wouldn't see most places. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Um, and um, what uh, what what effect has the um, that movie coming out that Lunar Sea movie? Um, what ha effect has that had on your on your life? Did it make? Did you get lots of people contacting you after that? Has it helped spread the word about the project that you're working on? Yeah, I went into it um, sort of with the idea because, of course, it was being made on a shoestring. It's not like they could pay me, you know, to be in the film or anything like that. So I went into it with the idea, well, this should be interesting and, you know, gives me some exposure. And it has done that, definitely. I've had people contact me. Um, obviously, you're not the first uh, to contact me saying, hey, I just saw Lunar Sea. Uh, it's really cool. And I've had people, uh, particularly in the first few months the film was out, and then the first few months that it was on Amazon and Netflix. Currently, uh, you can get it both on the Amazon streaming and the Netflix streaming service. Uh, people contact me saying, hey, I think what you're doing is pretty cool, and sometimes saying, hey, I think what you're doing is pretty cool. Here's 20 bucks. Oh, nice. Um, which really helps. Um, and I've definitely had people contact me. Uh, in fact, there was a lady, for example, who saw the one theatrical showing in Toronto that I wasn't at, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, who says, I'm really sorry I missed you, um, you know, because I, I think, you know, my friend was really interested in your movie, um, and so I'd like to buy some of the merchandise that you have. I said, sure. Um, but actually, one of the fun things that happened uh, during the Toronto theatrical run one night was that a documentary film club from one of the local universities came. Oh, fun. And so there were, yeah, a bunch of university students who apparently every week get together and go to a documentary. And when they found out I was there, they took me across the street to the bar, and so we sat there talking for oh, until midnight when they just re suddenly realized they had exams the next day. <laughs> so, you know, there, there may be some students in Toronto who, uh, who flunked their literature test because they were too, uh, you know, too, too busy with uh, visions of lunar sugar plums dancing in their heads. <laughs> Did you meet the other, um, the man that's selling the moon? I have not met Dennis Hope. Okay. Um, I do not intend to express any opinion on whether I would like to meet Dennis Hope. Um, <laughs> You can just I, say, I, Dennis sure is Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's a fine fellow, but um, he's sort of outside the sphere of the kinds of things that I want to do. Right. Yeah, it, th that, that definitely seems a little bit more kind of gimmicky uh, as opposed to, uh, as oh, opposed to the direction that you're, that you're headed. So. Now, Peter Cook was in the movie. I met him, and of course you saw, as, I, as you saw, I man managed to meet Alan Bean. Yeah. Um, what one more to the total of Apollo uh, astronauts I've met. What other Apollo astronauts have you met? 
Well, I mean, Buzz Aldrin is easy, okay? Right. I, I just have to tell you this. Buzz Aldrin is everywhere. Um, and so, in fact, he's a member of the Board of Governors of the National Space Society. And so anytime the NSF has a uh, major event, you're likely to run into Buzz. Um, and then when my sister was going to university in South Texas, a university actually which President Lyndon Johnson graduated from, and so they were having an anniversary celebration, and they brought in Charlie Duke to talk. And, of course, Charlie Duke, uh, aside from walking on the moon, is also the guy that you hear on the Apollo 11 recordings where he says, Roger Twang, I mean tranquility. It... Go, go, go back and listen to it. Just, you know, that Neil says, Houston, this is tranquility base. The eagle has landed. And Charlie Duke, capsule communicator, says, Roger Twang, tranquility. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And what was it? He who was the last the last person on the moon? Well, the, the last crew was Apollo seventeen, and that was uh, Captain Eugene Cernan, who's just had a movie come out uh, actually about him, and Harrison Schmidt, who was actually the only non-pilot. He was the geologist, um, and for a couple for a while was a United States senator from New Mexico actually. It turns out that walking on the moon was a really good uh, thing to do if you wanted to become a senator later <laughs> on in life. Yeah, I guess so. Went from scientist but, yeah. to astronaut so, to uh, senator. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, if um, young oh, Jack Schmidt was the first, was the last man to step onto the moon, and because of the way they got into it out of the capsule of the lunar module, Jack Schmidt was the last man to step onto the moon, and Gene Cernan was the last man to step off. So far, as I always say, so far. So far, I like it. Yeah, the the end of that Lunar Sea documentary. That at the end of it, when um, the, it, they're kind of playing that monologue from you, and you're like walking up towards the big model of the Saturn V, I think it is. Yeah. I I uh I I definitely got a little teary eyed <laughs> during that during that part. So I love I love what you're doing, and I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to chat with you. I, I'm always happy to talk. <laughs> I think if there's one thing I'm good at, it's it's the gab. Yeah. Maybe surprising. Absolutely, man. Well, if I told you on Facebook, but if you ever find yourself in Seattle, uh, we can go to the Museum of Flight. We got the shuttle trainer out here, and they got a couple, a uh, couple other pretty cool space artifacts. So might run into Paul Allen. Okay. <laughs> so if you ever find yourself in the Northwest, it's an open invitation. Be sure to find me on Facebook or whatever, and we'll. Uh, We'll meet up. Cool. So, what do you like? What do you do with your free time? Well, I mean, honestly, um, this is what I dedicate myself to mostly. That most of my efforts are directed towards moon colonization. Um, I, I like to think that I'm a, that I'm a fairly well-rounded guy. Outside of that, you know, I read good literature and. Uh, you know, try to eat good food and things like that. But uh, yeah, you know, this is my avocation, as it were. And so, preferentially, when I'm not absolutely having to do something else, this is how my, I spend my time. I mean, I do other things. Um, for example, I just finished going to last weekend was Project Acon, a big anime convention here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And one of the things I do, I happen to have a large library of Japanese animation laser discs. Um, so I actually I volunteer for their video department, and I bring in some of my old 
materials that some of the older fans might like to see again. A lot of the newer fans will never have seen. And so I put on a show there. And I actually did um, 16 hours worth of video programming this year, including I had um, Dr. Mark Hairston, who's in the astrophysics department at University of Texas, Dallas, and a couple of other folks of narrating uh, selected episodes from the Japanese animated television series, Nadia of the Mysterious Seas, from way back in 1990, because 1990 was not only the year that Nadia came out, it was also the year of the first Akon. It was actually now the uh, longest-running anime fandom convention in North America. And so I had sort of a special presentation uh, as commemorative of that. Wow. Wow, so you do have some hobbies. Do you have, um, do you have like a, are you, do you have a, are you working right now? Um, you know, because, you know, p- people ask me what I do, and the answer is I go to the moon. But it turns out that that isn't the most lucrative activity <laughs> in the world, at least not the way I do it. Right, yeah. So I do, um, I, I pick up a certain amount of work here and there in order to, you know, help pay the bills, because bills have to be paid. Right. Um, but... You know, it's to me that's not what's important. Yeah. And so typically, if well, for example, I'm working on have to get down to this. I had you know, it's always a question of things that come up in front of other things. Working on getting my CCNA certification, which is a Cisco Certified Network Associate. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea just being that that's something where you can get short-term jobs which pay well. And so if I can work for a couple of weeks at thirty dollars an hour, and then knock off and use that money to travel and print, make, you know, mail and all those other things in support of the Luna Project, then that's way better to me than being tied to the 9 to 5, doing something I don't really care about so that I can, you know, come back in the evenings and finish up the stuff that I actually do care about. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there any, are there any, like, uh, space museums or anything out by where you are? Well, the big one that we have around here is the Frontiers of Flight Museum at Dallas Love Field. They actually have one of the Apollo capsules there. Uh, from Yeah, from Apollo 7, which was an Earth orbital mission, which everybody forgets about. Apollo um, 7, you said? Have, yeah, Apollo 7. And they also have one of the uh, fair engines from the uh, Apollo service module and some other space-related stuff. It's mostly an aircraft museum, mm-hmm. but our local National Space Society chapter gets together and helps to sponsor an event called Moon Day um, every year uh, on the Saturday nearest to the 20th of July, 20th of July being, of course, the anniversary of the day that Armstrong and Aldrin landed back in 69. Okay, yeah. Which I always encourage people to celebrate as a hobby. You know, that uh, there are some folks in the space community who like to throw a big party, on um, celebrate as a holiday. I think I said holiday and not hobby. Anyway, there are some folks in the space community who like to throw a big party on uh, April 12th, which is the anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's first space flight back in 61, uh-huh. and also the anniversary of the first shuttle launch, um, which was, oddly enough, 20 years later to the day. Oh, wow. Um, and, there are some, and there's an official international holiday known as World Space Week, which is uh, basically the second week in October, which commemorates the launch of Sputnik back in 57. Uh, but I always like to encourage people to treat the 20th of July as a holiday, too. Yeah. How about that, man? Sputnik launches in 57. 
and 12 years later we're on the moon. Yeah. And so this this is what I keep saying to people. You know, it was 12 years between the first satellite and the first footsteps on the moon. It's now been 40 years and more. Right. Right? Since the last human footsteps on the moon. And that's too damn long. Yeah. It's, it's like the old Wolf Brand Chili ad, right? How long has it been since you had a steaming bowl of Wolf Brand Chili? Well, that's too long. <laughs> you know, how long has it been since you had a steaming bowl of moon dust? Well, that's too long. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, I love it, man. I love what you're doing, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to staying in touch. So thanks for humoring my uh, my personal questions as well. <laughs> No, like I say, this is this is what I do, you know. If I'm not evangelizing people, you know, what good am I? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey, you know, hope. Yourself... What's that? Consider yourself evangelized. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, like I said, I'll link you when I post the show, and uh, it'll be awesome. Thanks, thanks again for chatting. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Oh, you too. <laughs> And we're back. I hope that you guys understood anything that was happening because I surely did not. Yeah. Christy <laughs> was definitely <laughs> tuning out on a couple parts. Well, of it's not that it wasn't interesting. Which is rude to our guest because he's listening right now. He well, might have not been here in no, the room while we were recording. No, no. Everything he said is interesting. It's just so above my head. Get it? The moon and the different yeah. aspects. Okay, so um, I didn't. Not funny. I didn't. I didn't really um, understand a lot of the things that you guys were saying in your, your space jokes back and forth. I don't I think understand. there was a lot of space joking there going on. There was some, and you were like, oh, yeah, th- that is pretty big, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't understand what that meant, or, well, oh, that is heavy, or, oh, yeah. I, I had no idea. You don't understand basic measurements, or? Well, just he would he would <laughs> say a rocket, and he would be like, oh, yeah, and I had no idea what it was. Okay. Do you mean when he was talking about like the amount of lift, uh, the amount of material that would have to be lifted into space? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, okay. So weights and measurements <laughs> is a struggle for you. Is that what we're Math saying? Math in general is, but <laughs> okay. then also, this is kind of like our Big Brother episode where you just said, st- and then we ended up not releasing it, but <laughs> that you just had no idea what we were talking about the entire time. Except for this is interesting and exciting. Right. Space travel. Yeah. Okay. This is a funny way to. It first last week we had the Christian married drag queen, gay married drag queen. Yeah. And then this week we have space. It's, it's just very interesting. Our podcast yeah. is interesting. W- diversity. Diversity. <laughs> so. Can I tell a story about when I thought that I would live on the moon? Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> I read a book and I just figured out the name of the book yesterday from Googling skills. It was called This Place Has No Atmosphere. And it was just a young adult fiction book set in 2050 okay and it just was there was a, a colony on space there was, i mean in the moon of about 800 people and they lived there and i just thought yeah of course we're, we're gonna live on the moon and when i live on the moon it will be like this kind of and so i was just thought that we would be there by now so yeah i think that a lot of people thought we would have been there by now including me and including Christopher Carson, our esteemed guest. Yes. Check out his stuff. It's very interesting. The movie 
I I don't know how to explain it. Th- I mean, even the director said we know we were kind of making light of it. It could the movie could have come off in a way that it was maybe tr- tried to look like it was p- poking fun at him or something. Yes, that what you're saying. Yeah, but then talking to him, he actually has legitimate ideas. Yeah, no, he's not. That didn't come across in the movie. I don't think. I thought it did. Maybe it was just some of the other stuff I've read from him Maybe online or something. Maybe. But, yeah, I mean, I I think it's, yeah, yeah. But that kind of stuff is exactly what the, well, it's of, of great personal interest to me, first of all, just for obvious reasons. I'm mm-hmm. somewhat of a Because you want to be on that enthusiast. rocket with Chris yeah. on the one-way trip to the moon. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so much. So much. I think I didn't want to um, fangirl too much when we were talking to him on the phone, but I mean, I was pretty moved at the ending of that. Yeah, you cried. He has a monologue at the end of the the Lunacy movie where he's just talking about basically dreaming and how we have to go back to the stars mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I cried. Yes. I cried. It was it was mm-hmm. powerful. though. It was good. I liked it. It was good stuff. And um, I'm, like, super excited that he was able to come on the show. So so if you like documentaries or you like space or you like both, sure. or you just like cool people that have interesting ideas, check out the show. Check, check it out. out. The movie. And if you know anybody or you yourself nerds out about something, is passionate about something, no matter how minuscule or grand, could be something very small, it could be something very big, we want to hear about it. We want to talk to you. We want to talk about it. So, yeah, let us know. You can go to our website, www.nerdoutloudpod.com, www.nerdoutloudpod.com. On there, you'll find a contact thing. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Nerd Out Loud Pod on Facebook, Nerd Out Loud Pod on Twitter. You can call us on the voicemail line. Drunk dialer. Leave us a message. 206-588-5463. What? Oh, Pod Dog just made a weird noise. Oh, maybe Pod Dog is finally dying. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. We'll be back. Lunar nerd flag fly! <laughs>